Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf, Gojo and Golik, Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving in the 2024 NBA postseason. You get it. But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. You're listening to DraftKings Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. That is me. With me, as always, on the ones and twos, Brandon Newman. Brandon, how are you doing in front of your large black tarp? <laughs> large and black. Feeling large and black. There we go. I wouldn't have you any other way. Uh, we got a great show for you guys today. As always, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, and review. Leave us a five-star rating and a review, and check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel under the Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. tab. Uh... NFL tight end, pro bowler, former Notre Dame great, and my old roommate, Brandon, one of our best friends, Kyle Rudolph, stopping by the program today. Uh, Very excited to catch up with him. I'm sure you saw the other day the announcement that NBC put out. Rudy getting to be a part of the the USFL broadcast. He's getting in the booth, man. I know. I love it. I'm happy for our guy. He has a wealth of knowledge, and as you'll hear in the interview, he tells you why the tight end position is perfect to tell you about the game. Yeah, also got a cool announcement with Rudy in there, too. He's calling the Notre Dame spring game coming up this weekend. So a lot of good stuff in the works for him. He's also got some philanthropic work that he's doing with a cool company called All True that he founded. And just in general, good catching up with one of our buddies. A lot of good stuff in there about his journey, the NFL draft, as we get ready for that next week, and the story about how he wound up with the Minnesota Vikings. All good stuff, all stuff you're going to want to check out that we got coming in the show. We've also... Gotta revisit some things that happened on the sweat yesterday. DraftKings, wonderful in-house program. Emerson and Jesse are great friends. Apparently, I am now on trial for one particular airplane habit that I have, and I will defend myself in this public court on our platform because it's nonsense. I am being misconstrued. I am being bamboozled, run amok, and led astray by the internet, and I will not stand for this slight, Brandon. Mike, as most people who listen to this podcast know, I don't usually agree with you, but on this issue, we are, I don't know, we, we are we are in agreement. We're simpatico, baby, because you're on the right side of history okay, with me, and that's where I hope where the rest of you will be. But Brandon, 
a rare thing happened last night. I sat around watching the NBA games, and as I'm flipping through, trying to get all the channels situated so I can either get one up on the laptop, get one up on a second screen, try and figure out the order of operations here, I had an initial reaction that ended up getting proved wrong. So my initial reaction, looking up and seeing the Milwaukee Bucks and the Miami Heat on NBA TV while we had the Denver Nuggets and the Timberwolves on TNT for that game, was like, man, how did this game, the Heat Bucks series, that to me is infinitely more interesting, wind up on NBA TV tonight? That's sort of lame. I could probably go this whole first round without watching the Nuggets and the Timberwolves. And as I said that, we wound up with a Bucks game that was an absolute blowout. Milwaukee goes out and absolutely drags Miami through the mud. The Bucks scored 138 points without Giannis Antetokounmpo, who was out of that game with the back injury sustained in Game 1. They were resting him. According to ESPN Stats and Info, that is the most points in a game by a team without their leading scorer from the regular season in NBA postseason history. Brandon, on the scale of 1 to ESPN Stat, where does that fall for you? Because I think that one's pretty good. I think that that's a one for me. I, I like that style a lot, especially with Giannis. It almost seems like the team is feeding off of what Giannis would be doing if he was there against the Miami Heat. But that's not that's not so much an ESPN stat in my book. No, that's a solid one there. So you had that go on in that game. So it was a complete blowout. It was a 20-point game for most of the second half. And lo and behold, as I finished with the Lakers-Grizzlies game, as the Grizzlies finished that one off, got the series back even 1-1 at home, I actually made it through an entire Timberwolves and Denver Nuggets game. And it was actually probably the most entertaining game of the night. It ended up close down the stretch. Uh, the Timberwolves erased what was about a thir- almost a 25-point deficit at different points in the game to come back and make this a single-digit one down the stretch. We had an Anthony Edwards 40-point duel. He becomes just the fifth player, 21 years or younger, with a 40-point playoff game, joining LeBron James, Luka Doncic, John ja Morant, and one other name that is escaping me right now but is very good and very impressive and that back and forth down the stretch and Edwards coming back after a lackluster game one Jamal Murray taking it back to the bubble and giving them the version of Jamal Murray that might actually help them win something all was great Brandon but it was all completely underscored by the best part of the night so you saw Dylan Brooks after the Lakers game Dylan Brooks standing in front of TV cameras, standing in front of the microphone, chain out, DB chain, coolest pair of sunglasses I've ever seen. I'll give him that credit. Saying about LeBron James when asked about taunting LeBron during the game because we saw him get all up in his grill, clap in his face, actually tick LeBron off enough to get him to bark back. And Dylan Brooks was asked about, hey, some people would say, you know, that's not the guy to poke during the game. Dylan Brooks said, I poke bears and I don't care about LeBron because he's old. I don't give anyone respect until they put 40 on me. And just completely wrestling heel, Brandon. What Dylan Brooks and Draymond Green continue to do for basketball and for the playoffs is an incredibly valued service. We need these guys. We need people willing to step up and be the bad guy. And Dylan Brooks has been about it for a while. Draymond Green's been a great sports villain even before he stomped on uh, old boy's chest and got himself a one-game suspension. (laughs) And while that one taking him off the court, probably not a net positive for the Golden State Warriors, these two are both a net positive for the NBA playoffs. That is an added level of intrigue that we love. We talked about this a lot in the women's tournament. Sports are always built off personalities. What can you sell and how does it add to the value of the matchup? And man alive, 
everybody had the same reaction, which is we all expect LeBron James to be out for blood. He's going to want to score 50 on Dylan Brooks. He is going to want to fight God. He is going to do everything. Every DraftKings LeBron James point total you can find and muster up for game three will not be enough based on what we expect these comments to do because it's one of those moments where we've talked about LeBron James probably not going to ever touch the heights that he's touched before we're dealing with a great LeBron right. but not great by what he's been historically this might be a throwback game if there's gonna be one that he goes out and wins on his own Brandon I'd imagine it's this one especially since D'Angelo Russell and the brow combined for six of 25 for 18 points Mike they were atrocious. Yeah. So LeBron James, if any time, is looking at Rui and Austin Reeves, and he said, feed me. I say, shout out to Rui, who had another 20-point game in this one, but you're right. No one should be as thankful for Dylan Brooks this morning as Anthony Davis, who, if it were not for him, would be the one leading first take, having to answer for a lackluster, complete non-offensive performance, and one that they need more out of him if they're going to actually win anything of value this postseason. But with all so many of these teams did their job, stole one on the road. We've got a lot of series that have started, and it's been actually incredible, Brandon. So peak NBA was reached last night, but that is not the main thing that we've got to discuss here today. After what went down yesterday, I may have a lot more in common with Dylan Brooks and Draymond Green than I ever could have imagined, right? And I still maintain that is a good thing. We are fortunate to have them right now, even if they're incredibly aggravating, right? I don't have to agree with everything they've done or how they go about their business to say, hey, this is an important force in our life in the NBA right now. It's going to get us a more entertaining version of your Lakers. It's going to get us a ticked off LeBron James, which is almost always a good thing. We can go to that LeBron James stare down Miami heat meme that everyone always pops up and uses. These are objectively good things in the world of sports. I will stand on that. And uh, now I lack the requisite chain that Dylan Brooks and others usually bring to the party of in this course. situation. Was pretty strong. Yeah. I've just never been a chain guy. I don't really think I have that in me to rock. But regardless, Brandon, I have joined their ranks as a villain after our appearance on The Sweat yesterday. If you're not already checking out The Sweat every day, DraftKings on all their social media runs a great in-house bit of programming, cycles through all the big stories of the day. Um, Emerson Lazia, Jesse Caulfield, they do a great job hosting that show. And we went on yesterday, you and I, and got a little bit derailed by plain stuff. It feels like it's becoming one of those sports talk greatest hits kind of um kind of topics Absolutely. of conversation we'll re-hit this again in july without question but we went on there and somehow got derailed by the subject of plain feet stuff and it was after the anthony bass headline <laughs> that we dealt with the other day of the major league baseball star's wife on the plane popcorn kids the whole deal and it led the list listen to where i decided to turn full heel when it comes to airplane stuff what is the worst flight etiquette case that you've witnessed on a plane? Because I can tell you, I would rather get on my hands and knees and clean up a plane's worth of popcorn than be anywhere near someone who's taken off their shoes on an airplane. Oh my God, Mike. Yeah, what do you think? If you're going to take off your shoes for like a little breather, I've done it before, you keep them underneath. You keep them hidden in shame. You make Wait. sure it's not clear and obvious. You've taken your shoes off. That's disgusting, dude. You smell that crap when you do it, dude. Yeah, I don't take them off for very long. And you know what? 
No, you don't. Yes, you do. The plane is literally a giant metal tube that we're all trapped in. It's like walking into an apartment building. You smell everything, everywhere, all at once. You're probably smelling these dirty kids that were behind there covered in popcorn and God knows what. <laughs> so don't blame yeah. my feet just because I want to air out the piggies for a little bit during the flight if I do it respectfully. That's the difference. This is like the Draymond Green suspension rule where yeah. everyone, you got to, when you're traveling, not make things clear and obvious. If you're going to leak True. a fart, you can't make it clear I, and obvious. Yeah. If you're going to take you off your shoes, you can't make it clear and obvious. You've got to be a gentleman and keep things respectfully out of sight. It's like playing dirty in sports. You can't let every Everyone see your business if you're going to act foul. Hey, man, I'm 10 toes down on this. Pun fully intended. <laughs> I don't see and I have watched. And listen, the sweat has used this for social media capital. And they've got me getting dragged online by people who are making this a two True. Americas thing and talking about white people do this, which might be somewhat the case. <laughs> might, it definitely leans white, but... Brandon, I'll say this True. to push back on the idea that what I'm doing is some sort of offense to everyone on the plane. Again, one, when I am taking my shoes and then socks off, it is briefly. Like the shoes come off because, as we know, feet swell a little bit of altitude. You want to just get a little bit of yes. relief there. It might be uncomfortable given what pair of shoes. And Lord knows I wear a lot of different pairs of shoes. Number two is when the socks come off. If I've got like an itch, if I want to air them out, it's been a long travel day. It is, again, below deck. It's going to be underneath. I am never going to touch the seat back. Never going to touch the, the rail that everyone puts their hands on, the armrest. Never going to touch anybody else. They're going to be below sea level and on top of my shoes. I'm not even going to touch the ground in the plane if that's something that I've put you. I like to give them a little landing spot, almost like a coaster on a table for a drink. And so when you combine all those things with the brief amount of time they're actually going to be out of my socks, all of that leads back to my original point, which is on a plane, our senses are dulled because of the constant drone and sound in there, because of the fact that we yeah. are sealed in a metal tube, you cannot discern one smell from the other. What you're getting is always, unless you're right next to the person and they're eating seafood on the plane, which we've seen, you're never gonna be able to discern just one smell. It's all one big mass of stink that we deal with inside that, that I, again, with feet that aren't that stinky, let's be real, not contributing meaningfully to that. So that is my defense, Brandon. How do you see this case? I disagree with you pretty strongly. Uh, I am a, one who believes in hiding things from the public. Uh, I do respect you on that regard, but there's no way on God's green earth that you can hide taking your socks off on a flight. What do you mean hide doing it? Yes, I can. What do you, how am I incapable of that? It's below the seat. I can take one sock off with one foot, one sock off with the other foot. Do you not have Dexter's toes? I don't know who Dexter is. And I don't know about his toes, but I know one thing. There's no way unless I listen, maybe I haven't flown, flown first class enough, but there is no way you're hiding, removing your socks. And I was pretty much against this being a race thing, but the fact that you are taking off your socks on a plane is about the whitest thing I've ever heard in my life. It's not even an all the time thing. It's a sometimes thing. If you've got an itch, if you've got something that's uncomfortable down there, airing it out, it's like resetting the computer. Sometimes you got to unplug it, plug it back in, blow in it a little bit, air it out some. That's how you get things right. And so in my mind, not necessarily a bad thing, certainly not worthy of all this scrutiny. Like I consider myself, Brandon, there are very few things I puff my chest out about. 
One is I am a phenomenal wedding guest. I'm one of the best there is, five-tool player. You want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. The other thing Can that I have become and the, and the craft that I have honed is I am an elite traveler. I am remarkably efficient when it comes to getting to the airport, not leaving too much lag time, getting through security in a timely fashion, being prepared with all the documents, everything in order, pre-check, I'm gonna move through everything with the swiftness. And then I am unobtrusive. I'm not gonna be up in anyone's business. I'm generally pretty courteous about everyone's space in the airport. I don't try and crowd up on people. I'm not gonna try and over talk you. I'm a headphones on businessman when it comes to my air, airline travel. And I don't like to make life hard on anybody. That includes parents, that includes flight attendants, that includes anyone working at the airport because I know everyone's trying their best to get through what is an uncomfortable process as easily as they can. And so with all of that in mind, if this is the one area where I brush up a little bit on hedonism when it comes to my airport world, I feel like that's a worthwhile concession to the good I'm bringing in all these other places. I am a net positive, overwhelming me. My plus minus at the airport is going to lead your team every single time. <laughs> Listen, yes, because you have the reps, and I believe you in that regard, but I don't know. I think your amount of reps leads to your amount of comfortability in thinking that it is okay to remove your socks. Listen, I'm with you. I remove my shoes. I, I, I'm with you with the heavy Jordan shoes. You didn't say them, but, you know, they fit like Tim's a lot of time, and you're, like, wearing big old boots you're on a plane that doesn't have a lot of space for boots, right? So you take them off. I completely understand that. And I and I, I hear you, Mike, but I need to see it to believe it. I need to see it to believe it because I, I don't believe you. Like, I've, I've flown with you. Remember we flew to Hawaii together in Notre Dame? We watched There Will Be Blood on the plane together. It was beautiful spending three hours sharing a, a head buds with you. But I've, I've traveled with you enough. That's obviously different because you're we're wearing sweats and a lot more comfortable. But I know you've elevated to like Super Saiyan Trunks level flying, but that doesn't mean you can take off your socks like instant transmission. Just to give you another DBZ reference. You know what? I'll keep going with sports and DBZ references. To me, the feet conversation is about hockey. It's high sticking. If you get it above the waist level, if you get it in eyesight where everyone can see it, mm. now you're acting foul. Now you're not being courteous enough. But again, if you hide them in shame and you're discreet about these things, then you're not going to get any sort of penalty. At Gojo Show on Twitter, let us know how you feel, especially in the wake of Brandon, the new Internet Hall of Famer, when we want to talk about real airport impropriety. Buddy on the plane that got captured cursing out the baby. Now, essentially, a grown man on a flight to Florida, oddly enough, was videotaped <laughs> after apparently a baby had been crying on the plane MFing this baby up and down and when he was told to lower his voice that he was yelling his response the four words that will live in infamy now on the internet so was the baby are going to live in my so heart forever with a baby okay. in a gut okay. echo chamber okay. and you want to talk to me about being Okay. okay, because you're, you're yelling. So That's is the baby. baby. Okay, so you're a man. Did that pay extra to you? Okay. No. Shut up. You would shut up. Just start to me now. I don't give a f***. You were sitting there watching that baby cry for 45 minutes. It had nothing to do with nothing. Okay. Lower that baby's voice. Okay. I think that's it's out there. We'll have, I'm sorry, y'all. I'm sorry. I'm tripping. It's a baby. 
So was the baby. The the very end of the video is almost the best, Mike. Did the baby pay extra to scream on this flight? Like, this man said he was triggered, and we got all got a chance to see it in first hand. He cut a perfect wrestling promo. He has a great cussing voice. The words all really sing. Oh, I have no problem really with that. He contributed a lot to the internet discourse, and I'm happy to laugh at it. But Brandon, you're someone that has kids. If that man said anything like that about your baby, it's got to be hands. He's got to get put down. He's completely in the wrong. It's a ridiculous notion that this man would be aggravated enough to try and yell at a baby as if it was another grown man he was confronting at a bar is one of the dumbest things I've ever heard in my life. Yes, Mike, as someone who has gotten to a physical altercation, you have to realize when and where to do it. The airport is probably the worst place to engage in fisticuffs, but I'd probably have to meet him at his connection. And I'd hope that he's actually leaving the, the facility so I can meet him outside, catch me outside, shout out to Bad Baby. Uh, but no, I, I think that you're 100% right. I would have to hold, someone had to hold me back from jumping on dude live on the flight for screaming at the top of his voice at my child who is probably in some real danger and pain. Like after I got off the flight, my wife's probably on the phone with the pediatrician trying to ask about symptoms and I'm whooping up on dude. Yeah, that's, that's how it's got to go. So while he is absolutely an internet hall of famer, he's also a certified bleep hole and those two things can occupy the same space. More often than not, that's probably the crossover on the Venn diagram. Brandon, speaking of air travel and someone that may be on a plane sometime soon, I do want to bring this up because one of the chief arguments and disagreements on the show between me and you surrounds Brock Purdy and Trey Lance in San Francisco. And we've got a whole renewed batch of reporting from Ian Rappaport. I saw Florio over at Pro Football Talk giving the rumblings about Trey Lance and what his future might look like. Apparently, according to Rappaport, the 49ers have been fielding calls about Trey Lance and his potential tradeability, not making calls. That was very clear in the report, although believe that at your own peril. Florio wrote the other day right. about how at the Combine, apparently there was rumors about conversation between the 49ers and the Vikings and what Kirk Cousins' availability might look like to trade for him, which, Brandon, if that doesn't underscore Kyle Shanahan's kink, I don't know what will. This thing that Kirk Cousins remains the apple of his eye after all these years, this agent of above-average ability, slightly above-average ability that Kyle can mold to his liking because, again, the under the subtext of all this as we look at Trey Lance who got to play all of one game this past season before injury robbed him of the year hadn't seen the field much before that but was brought here to be this incredible set of physical ability to elevate this offense beyond where it had been to take a little bit of step back to take a step forward we get reminded of the truth at the center of the 49er experience, which is Kyle Shanahan believes that he is more important and more impactful than any quarterback he's going to put under center. He's the ultimate, I can make it work guy, I can fix him guy, and he doesn't need a lot of your tools in order to do it. See Jimmy Garoppolo, see CJ Beathard, see all the quarterbacks he's had under center, and leading us to this Brock Purdy conversation now where this is all driven by their comfort level apparently with Brock Purdy. What they saw last season and the effect that it had on the team lead them to the point now where 
if they're willing to listen and they're willing for these reports to get out while they're in session, they're pretty comfortable with the idea of him walking out of that building and seeing what they can get. They'll never be able to recoup what they gave up to get him. Again, the multiple first round picks and the third rounder that they had to move up to that third spot in the draft to take him. And Brandon, I know you're very pro Brock Purdy. You were very pro Jimmy Garoppolo. And I get it. The more I've sat and thought about it, I understand the appeal of the underdog coming in and taking the job from somebody that was picked very highly, that was supposed to be a certain thing. As someone who was back end of the draft guy, I love seeing guys go and take something that wasn't supposed to be theirs. You're not supposed to be the starter when you're Mr. Irrelevant. But what I look at this 49ers organization and see is someone who didn't self-scout themselves nearly well enough. Because I understand the rest of that locker room liking what a Jimmy Garoppolo or a Brock Purdy gives them which is consistency. They're a high floor team. The rest of that roster looks at themselves and says, we're a Super Bowl contender every year. With the defense we've got, offensive structure we've got, Kittle, Debo Samuel, all these versatile weapons. You throw McCaffrey in on the top. We're going to be Super Bowl contenders every year. And they've seen time and time again, if the quarterback comes in there and makes just enough plays and doesn't screw this thing up, they're going to be in good shape. They can handle the rest. If they're not on their third quarterback, they're probably in the Super Bowl. And this Jalen Hurt story has a little bit less cool of an ending than it already does. With all that in mind, what they get out of those quarterbacks is consistency and stability. And what you thought the goal was with Trey Lance was to say, hey, we might have to take a little bit of step back, but we're going to do it to eventually grow to new heights. And they got knocked off that point like this. Brock Purdy came in and had, by all accounts, one of the better eight-game stretches in a first year as a starter in a rookie season that we've seen a quarterback have in the last decade-plus of football. There's no denying that statistically. We can argue about what part of that is him, what part of that is the offense. But what he represents is the status quo, is stability around there. It's the answer to the rest of that locker room that, hey, we're going to let you guys do your thing. We're going to get someone in here who played a lot of ball in college, who's got experience manning an offense, that's got a lot of moving parts at Iowa State, and we're going to keep this thing moving because the rest of these guys are basically, with the excitement level they got, they're probably not wanting to take that requisite dip that might be required for a player that's played as little football as Trey Lance and now is coming off an injury at this point so I understand it trying to get something at this point and what you've got to do to answer for the rest of the locker room but overall to me it looks like the 49ers didn't know themselves well enough to move up mortgage all that capital and make a decision that clearly was not in line with how the rest of this organization wants to operate right now I'm sure they all love Trey but they also know this is a not-for-long league and that getting while the getting's good is one of the most important things that you can do. So San Francisco, uh, we'll see if Trey Lance gets a chance to get on a plane and go anywhere uh, anytime soon. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. All right, pumped to have back uh, friend of the podcast, real life friend, uh, NFL Pro Bowl tight end Kyle Rudolph rejoining us here on the pod. Rudy, what's going on, man? Not much, Mikey. How are we doing? 
I'm doing good, man. Can't complain. You're fresh off coaching Little League Baseball practice right now. It's uh, How's the coaching life been for you? Have you dove in full, full head on that? Uh, I cannot take credit as coach yet. Uh, Jordan keeps getting on me about, hey, you need to coach. Like last week, Henry had football on Friday, baseball on Saturday, and hockey on Sunday. So only in Tampa, Florida can you – play football, baseball, and hockey all in the same weekend. But uh, he obviously got the hockey bug when we were up in Minnesota and got on the ice a little bit. Tampa is a huge hockey town. Uh, The Lightning had a big win last night in Toronto to kick things off in the playoffs. So he's a huge Tampa Bay Whitening fan, uh, loves the (laughs) Whitening, uh, wears his Whitening gear all the time. So we're real big into hockey. Uh, and then started flag football, had his first flag football game, uh, and, and we've been doing the baseball thing as well. So uh, I haven't, you know, I'm dipping my toe in the water, as Coach Weiss would say. I haven't really dove into the deep end of coaching, uh, mainly just because I don't know when I'm available to be there. And I don't want to be like, yeah, absolutely, I'll help coach. And then I leave the other coach or two completely out to dry because I have a run of four Wednesdays in a row that I can't be there. Yeah, you're a guy wearing a lot of hats right now, Rudy, which is, you know, always been the case, but I, I think especially now and for the last couple of years in your career, you've obviously got a bunch of things going on philanthropically that I want to talk about here, the great stuff you're doing with Altrue, a, a company that you helped found that's doing a ton of great work. Obviously, just coming off a of football season in Tampa, that's why you're down there this last year. But you're also getting in the booth now, man. Our worlds are starting to collide a little bit more here. So walk me through this because as long as I've known you, when when we met at like 16, 17 years old, Kyle Rudolph, I knew, always wanted to be an NFL football player. That's all I've known from you for basically our entire lives together. And I see the announcement the other day. You're going to be with NBC in the booth for the USFL season. You're going to be calling the Notre Dame spring game, going back to our old stomping ground. So where'd the bug come from, man? How'd you wind up in the booth? Uh, you know, for me, as Henry comes in before he goes to bed, say goodnight, Henry. <laughs> What's up, Ed? Say goodnight. Goodnight. Say goodnight, Uncle Mikey. I love you. <laughs> All right, go to bed. I love you. Yeah, go over there. Go on. <laughs> I love um, you too, buddy. <laughs> so, so for me, um, you know, I, I've always enjoyed the the TV side, the media side, the storytelling side. Um, you know, certainly the more years I played, the more comfortable I got with that whole player TV relationship. And, um, you know, I've always kind of had it in mind as an incredible way to, you know, we can only play this game for so long. Um, I love the game. I've been around the game since I was Henry's age. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know what life is like without football as a whole. So, you know, Obviously, you won't play forever. Um, my years are numbered in the NFL. I think it's, you know, always great. Someone once told me the best time to get a job is while you have a job. Um, so to be able to use the opportunity that I have as a current player to, you know, test out the booth and and see, A, do I like it? B, am I any good? Henry wants snacks. 
Um, we do product <laughs> we do product placement on the podcast. There we go. Hen, Listen, I guess Hen, Hen's just helping sell ad space right now. And this yeah. is good training, Rudy. You never know what's going to go down in a live broadcast booth. So Hen's just absolutely. Helping you ready. Um, I, I'm certainly no one to walk uh, Snyder's honey mustard pretzels over to me in the middle of a broadcast, but I'm here for it. Um, <laughs> and so for me, I, I felt like give it a shot. Uh, you know, like I said, I don't know if I'm going to enjoy it. I don't know if I'm going to be any good at it, which is probably more important than if I like it or not. Um, so just wanting to give it a try. Uh, you know, like I said, I feel like it would be a great way to stick around the game in a capacity that's not as time intensive as being a player or being a coach or, you know, being a front office scout, whatever that may be. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm really excited about it, obviously getting to kick things off this weekend in South Bend for the blue gold game. And then, uh, going to the USFL the following week. Uh, and it's been fun. Like as I've prepared, you know, Notre Dame, but then more so doing way more USFL studying, um, you know, you're in this game long enough and you kind of cross paths with everyone. And, you know, I, I'm doing the. New Orleans Birmingham game and the head coach of New Orleans is an old offensive coordinator of mine in Minnesota, John D. Filippo. The defensive coordinator, you'll recognize this name, John Tenuta. Um, oh God. <laughs> so it's like it's just that's the way the world works in, in football. And you know, I feel like especially when you're around this game long enough, you really never know when your pads are gonna cross again with someone and and what capacity that would be. So while I'm still playing and, and still in the game, I saw it as a great opportunity to, you know, dip my toe in the water, if you would, and, and see what it's like on the other side. You mentioned part of this, you know, knowing so many people around this, having that unique vantage point, too. What do you think it is about tight ends, though? I think right now we've seen, obviously, you go back, Jason Witten had his stint in the booth in Monday Night Football. Greg Olson's been awesome. And I think we're seeing more and more non-quarterbacks start to get in the broadcast booth. We're starting to see that become more in vogue. So what about, like, the tight end position specifically do you think lends its really self well, lends itself well to this perspective-wise? Well, I think, you know, when you think about, you know, someone analyzing the whole game in the booth, obviously quarterback is the first thing that comes to mind because the quarterback has to know everything that's going on in the game. They have to know what the offensive linemen are doing. They have to know what the receivers are doing. They have to know what the running backs are doing. They have to know what the tight ends are doing. They have to have a idea of what's happening on defense. They've read defenses. They understand coverages. They understand fronts. Um, so from the analytical standpoint, you know, quarterback is your natural all encompassing, you know, we know everything, but then realistically the, the next step is tight end. Uh, you know, the tight end position is one. I have to know what the quarterback's doing. I have to know what the receivers are doing. I have to know what the running back's doing. I got to know what the offensive linemen are doing. And if there are other tight ends out there, I certainly got to know what I'm doing and what they're doing. Um, and then the other side, got to know fronts. Like I'm blocking in the run game, got to know coverages. You're trying to get open in the pass game. So I feel like the tight end position really kind of provides a, a great perspective for viewers because we see the whole game as well. And uh, it would be one thing to, to hop in the booth with like a really narrow mind and, you know, only be able to explain, you know, okay, I'm the running back and this is what I see on that play. Well, there's 10 other positions on the field that, you know, you really got to have an idea of kind of what's going on. And then 
Uh, you know, I once had someone tell me, you're, you know, make it personable, make it your own experience. Um, so I, like I said, I'm excited about that. I have no idea kind of if I'm going to be any good at it, uh, but I'm certainly looking forward to giving it a shot. Well, and you're going back, you mentioned starting off with the spring game this weekend in South Bend. Is this the first spring game you're actually going to enjoy? Because I always <laughs> have to tell people that college football players have a really conflicted relationship with spring football, and the spring game is one of those things you're kind of trying to get through for the most part. So how are you feeling about that? What was your relationship with spring football like back in oh, South Bend? Thankfully, I only had like <laughs> one spring game in my time at college. Um you know, I, we had our spring game my freshman year, and then our sophomore year going into our junior year, I was coming off of a surgery, so I was a little limited. Uh, you know, for me, it was like I was begging the new coaching staff to let me go out there and play just because it was a new staff, a new offense, uh, you know, Dane's under center, new quarterback. Uh, so I was extremely excited about getting out there for that one. But as you said, as a player, most of the time, you know, your spring game is this glorified practice in full pads, live contact when, you know, you don't gain anything from it. Uh, all, you, all you're looking for is kind of that light at the end of the tunnel that, you know, when this game's over in an hour and a half or however long it takes with the running clock, spring ball's over and we're into, you know, really two weeks of no football before this semester's up and, and we get to hang out and have a good time. So, um, you know, certainly – yeah, I'll definitely enjoy the game in the booth a little more than the guys down on the field. But uh, for me, I couldn't have, you know, handpicked a better opportunity for my first game in the booth. You know, it's one where it is a little more laid back. It's a spring game. Uh, I joke around with people, Notre Dame's going to be on offense the whole game. So uh, it'll definitely be easier for me as they're on offense the entire time. But there's also so many incredible storylines uh, with Notre Dame football this spring going into next season, and I'm excited to dive into all of those. Uh, and you mentioned it. We were there during the coaching change when uh, between Coach Weiss and Brian Kelly back then. This team just had the coaching change last year with Marcus Freeman, and you obviously said you got a bunch of storylines. It's year two for him. What have you made from the outside looking in and getting to poke around a bit now with what Marcus has done now going into his second year in the program? I think one of the biggest things uh, that I've heard so far is just the experience he gained, um, you know, with everything they dealt with last year, just through the course of 13 games, you know, the 12 regular season games and the bowl games. So uh, I know he feels like he gained 10 years of experience uh, just because of all the different situations they were put in, all the different circumstances they were dealt with. I think that's one thing he definitely feels a lot more comfortable going into year two. Uh, but also, like, you you were there from year one to year two, from, you know, Coach Kelly's first year to his second year. And there's just – there's such a higher comfort level throughout the entire program when it's not the first time you're doing everything along the way. Um, so you kind of have a sense for what's expected of you. You understand the practice schedule – you know, okay, usually, you know, this many periods is a tough practice. This many periods is a lighter practice. Uh, you kind of work your way around. You've now gone through an entire offseason together. Uh, so I think there will definitely be a much higher comfort level between not only the players but the coaching staff as a whole. And obviously there's notable coaching changes as well. Yeah, uh, a lot, especially on offense. Our former teammate Tommy Reese now uh, down in Alabama. So you got that whole side of the ball new, and Sam Hartman under center. Rudy, I know 
we've all been buzzing. I mean, former alumni getting ready to see this. The guys last year did a great job stepping up big time. But, I mean, for Notre Dame, this is one of the most accomplished quarterbacks they've had under center since, you know, Brady Quinn, Jimmy Clausen, the guys that came in and were able to jump to that next level in the NFL. How big a difference do you think that's going to make? Yeah, I know. I actually said that in one of my meetings leading up to the game. This is really the first time that we've kind of had the opportunity to have that guy under center since those names that you mentioned. And I also think it's a great opportunity. You know, we've been hearing kind of this whole thing throughout the course of the spring, just the competition uh, between Tyler Buckner and Sam Hartman. And um, I think, you know, we all lived it. Competition just kind of makes everybody else better. And I think if you go back and you watch the Tyler Buckner that played early last year and then the Tyler Buckner that played in the bowl game, he was significantly better in the bowl game. Like, you go back and watch that tape, uh, I think he really did well sitting in the box all year, being by Tommy, you know, taking advantage of an opportunity to learn from the sidelines or from the booth, if you would. Uh, so, you know, that whole competition will be really interesting the way it plays out. I'm certainly excited to see both of those guys take snaps this weekend. Um, but then again, like their styles are are very different. Um, you have a guy in Sam who was down at Wake Forest throwing it 35, 40 times a game. Obviously, we know that's not how things are going to work in South Bend. Um, so, you know, kind of how do these styles adapt? And uh, like I said, there's a lot of excitement uh, from this spring game which makes it not just kind of that normal dress rehearsal that we were accustomed to when we were in school. Yeah, a little more, uh, it feels like, right? And it's become such a production now, too. I mean, the way spring football in general, the year-round product of college football, I mean, clearly, they got you in the booth, so it's getting to be a big-time <laughs> deal around there right now. So we're looking forward to it, man. It's uh, it's going to be fun to watch that. It's going to be fun to see you in a different role around there in South Bend. But uh, you mentioned Tommy. I want to go from one Tommy to another because you've had a ton of incredible experience as a player you know, what you've done, seeing you live out your dream in the NFL. It's not surprising to anybody that's known you, but it's nonetheless been really fun to watch. You got to add a different experience this last year, you know, going to work every day with Tom Brady. You're obviously a guy, unreal work ethic. You've gotten to where you've been in your career for a reason, but so many people look at Tom Brady as the goat and all these things day to day as a teammate. Like what did you take away from seeing his process up close and personal? What was that like for you? And how does that kind of inform the way you look at ball? Summertime is an awesome chance to enjoy some downtime, but also focus on taking care of myself before I get to the grind of fall football season and everything that comes with that. So I like to make sure I'm getting outside, moving around, eating as best I can, and of course using some sunscreen, especially on top of my bald head, to protect myself. And whether you're off to the pool, hiking, or traveling this summer, remember you're always bringing your microbiome with you. That's the 38 trillion bacteria that live in and on you, especially in your gut, that are essential to whole body health. That's where our friends at Seed come into play. Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic benefits your gut, skin, and heart health in just two capsules a day. I've been taking Seed for about a month now, and DSO-1 has been awesome for me. I feel more regular, my skin looks and feels great, and it's incredibly convenient. I can store it right in the cabinet with all my other supplements because I don't have to worry about refrigerating it, and the free travel vial that I got with the welcome kit allows me to take DSO-1 on the go with me wherever I am during this busy summer. Because remember, your body's an ecosystem, and great whole body health starts 
starts in the gut. Your gut's that central hub for all the various pathways throughout your body. And a healthy gut microbiome means benefits for digestion, skin health, heart health, your immune system, and so much more. And it's backed by a ton of science with clinical trials and breakthrough research published in top scientific journals. Seed's probiotic research and development make DSO-1 a product you know you can trust. Not only has every ingredient been tested individually in scientific studies for their safety, dosage, and benefits, the DSO-1 formulation as a whole has been evaluated in two clinical trials. So support your gut this summer with Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com slash gojo and use code 25gojo to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash gojo, code 25gojo. I think, honestly, the biggest thing that stuck out to me, uh, you hit the nail on the head with everything from a day-to-day preparation. Obviously, we've seen his performances on Sundays for the last 23 years, Uh, you know, big games, playoffs, Super Bowls, all that stuff speaks for itself. Uh, But the thing people don't see is the human being on a daily basis, and there isn't a better one than I've been around in my time in football and really kind of any walk of life. Uh, just the humility that he walked around the building with, the kindness that he showed everyone from, you know, the fifth cook down the line in the cafeteria to uh, the head coach, the GM in the building. Uh, just extremely kind, humble, hardworking. Uh, so it was a ton of fun for me to be around to to get to see all the things that make him great on a daily basis firsthand. Uh, I certainly wish the year would have gone different for everybody. Uh, especially for me personally, uh, I wish I would have had more experience playing with him and less experience watching him play. Uh, would have been a little more enjoyable for me. I certainly feel like I could have helped our team out, especially our offense out. Um, but, you know, that's the way it is. And, and things don't always go the way you want. Uh, but for me, it was still an incredible opportunity to, although I wasn't playing on Sundays like I wanted to, we still got to practice Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. And Uh, nobody practiced harder than Tom did. So I felt like he kind of elevated the standard at practice on a daily basis. And I got better as a football player. Uh, You don't often do that at 33 years old in in your 12th season. Um, And and I did. I was much better in January than I was when the season started in September. It's it's pretty incredible to say, because just hearing you say it out loud, I mean, you're staring down year 13 right now coming up this fall and like I said I when I talked to you and when we first met I remember you wanting to be a guy that played in the NFL for 15 years in that range and be one of the greats and you've gone out and done it but I'm curious like what's the thing that you when we were first meeting at 16 17 thought about playing in the NFL thought about having a career like this and then seeing it and living it what's been the thing that surprised you most maybe about that experience of now getting to be a veteran NFL player the way you always wanted to oh um how fast it's gone um I mean you you talk about sitting there at 15 16 years old talking about you know, what it's going to be like when we're at Notre Dame just a few short years later and, you know, goals and dreams that we had when we got to Notre Dame. And then, you know, obviously your goals and dreams while you're at Notre Dame are to win a championship and make it to the NFL. And, you know, you were fortunate enough to be able to play in a championship game while you were there. I was not, um, but I was fortunate enough to get drafted and be able to live out that dream and, and get to play in the NFL. Uh, and, and then here we are in the blink of an eye that there, there's 12 years in the rearview mirror. And it, it just kind of seems like it all happened, you know, and 
that and it was over. Um, so I think that's the biggest thing. You hear it all the time, like how fast it goes. It's kind of one of those things, you know, the, the days are long, but the years are fast. And uh, it's so cliche to say, and, and we hear it so often, but it's not really until it just hits you straight in the face that you're like, wow, it's, it's spot on. It, it couldn't be more true. So I think that's the biggest thing. Uh, and, you know, for me, like certainly I've always had dreams of, of getting to a Super Bowl. Uh, I've been very fortunate to do just about everything else in this game. Uh, and that's kind of what kind of motivates me at this point. That's why I moved my family to Tampa for one year, uh, just for a shot at it. Uh, so that's kind of what keeps me going now at this point. Yeah, and I mean, listen, getting to be warm all year round now, too. Like you said, all the sports Henry gets to do outside right now. Not a bad byproduct of that, I'd imagine, after a decade in Minnesota. Yeah, we certainly love Minnesota. Uh, we've always said that's home for us now, and, and we embrace it. Uh, but they're definitely not playing baseball outside. I think they got nine <laughs> inches of snow again last week. So um, we're enjoying our time down here and, and certainly soaking up the benefits of spending winter in Florida. Yeah, no, not a bad deal uh, at the very least. You mentioned getting drafted, playing in the NFL. We got the draft coming up this next week, too. What do you remember about that week for you? Like, I remember being around. I remember your draft party uh, as you end up going in the second round. But, like, what do you remember about that week? I'm sure it's kind of a blur. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Uh, there's – you would assume just, uh, you know, you get drafted to the NFL. It's got to be the greatest weekend of your life. Uh, but, you know, for me, there were highs, like the highs of getting drafted – finally hearing your name called, uh, you know, realizing a dream that you've set since you were a little kid. Uh, but for me, it was also extremely disappointing. Uh, you know, I wanted to be a first-round pick. I set a goal as, you know, a kid when you watch the draft from, you know, Radio City Music Hall in New York City and you watch all the first-round picks go. I always wanted to be a first-round pick. And that was the first goal that I ever set in my life that I didn't achieve. And it's not something that you can, oh, well, I'll just work harder next year and, and I'll give it another shot. Like you have one chance at being a first round pick. And, you know, that Thursday night when I sat there with my friends and family and watched 32 names get called and one of which were not mine, you know, it kind of sets in like, okay, this is the first time I've ever set a goal or had a dream that I haven't achieved. So, you know, how do you respond? Uh, you know, what does it do to you as a person? Uh, how does it motivate you? And I had so many close friends and family there that kind of all leaned on me and, you know, explained to me how, look, no matter what, you're going to hear your name called and it's going to be extremely special. And of course, as a stubborn 21-year-old kid who, like I said, you know, that was the first goal I had ever set that I didn't achieve. Uh, I wasn't very happy at the time, but they were all right. You know, the next day, my name gets called uh, to Minnesota of all places, which I had zero contact with throughout the whole pre-draft process. They had a 13-year tight end on their roster, a nine-year tight end on their roster who had 12 touchdowns the year prior. Um, so, like, tight end was not a position that they needed. And yet here we are. You go fast forward 10 years later. I was fortunate enough to be in one place and, you know, establish home in a community that's been so incredible to us. Everything happens for a reason. What was it like walking into that room? You mentioned it with guys that veteran status as the second round pick where everyone kind of knows you're here to take somebody's job more often than not when you're picked in that spot. What was that experience like for you coming off those kind of fresh feelings of feeling slighted? Oh, you know, for me, I was extremely fortunate that the room I came into 
my position coach, Jimmy Johnson, played in the league for 10 years as a tight end. Jim Kleinsaucer, 13-year vet. Asante Shanko, nine-year vet. Jeff Dugan, nine-year vet. And every single one of them gave me every bit of knowledge that they had. Um, never was it like, you know, slight the rookie. He's here to take my job. Like, I'm going to make sure that, you know, what is mine is mine, and he's got to figure it out on his own. So I was incredible, and I feel like that really kind of provided perspective for me for the rest of my career that when I had young guys in my room, I wanted to do the same thing. Um, you know, yeah, there's only one starting tight end spot on that team, but we're all going to play. And also there's 31 other teams that, you know, if you go out and you play well and you put incredible tape on during the preseason, you know, maybe you'll get a job somewhere else. And that's all we want. We want everybody to have a job. And if I teach you something and you go out and you have better film than I do and you play better than I do, that's my fault because I'm not getting better as a player and yeah, I'm bringing you along with me. Um, so, you know, that's kind of just the way I've always taught it, the way I always approached it, uh, because that's the room that I walked into as a 21-year-old kid. It's incredible how much that stuff can just shape everything and how being fortunate to have vets like that early on and, you know, couple that with your work ethic and all the things you were going to bring, uh, what that does. And then you, know, you mentioned you guys made home in Minnesota, and for you, that included on and off the field, multi-time Walter Payton Man of the Year nominee for the Vikings, the work that you and your wife Jordan have done, you know, the the end zone you guys have at the Minnesota Masonic Children's Hospital, doing all the things for them, and now is translated for for anyone watching on YouTube, you can see the hat for Kyle uh, to all true right now. So, uh, Kyle, kind of explain, because this was a pretty cool concept. You'd been a part of charity in so many ways. have been out to your golf tournaments in the summer. And you kind of saw what I think a lot of us who have worked around these things do is that it can sometimes feel like you're not always maximizing the amount of people you can get into the charitable space when it comes to trying to raise money, trying to rally people around a cause. And so you guys stepped in and created this awesome platform to get more people involved in that. So, so walk me through what went into starting All True for you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so it was Jason Zucker who, you know, played a ton of years in Minnesota as well for the Minnesota Wild, became a dear friend of ours, a partner at the Children's Hospital, and then two of our other business partners and, and partners through uh, the Children's Hospital who have done unbelievable things to support the Kyle Rudolph's End Zone and the Zucker Family Broadcast Studio and Suite at the Children's Hospital. Um, we kind of all got together in January of 2021, uh, coming out of the pandemic, looking around at all these different events that we hosted and, and through which you've attended most of them to raise money for the children's hospital. And, and we couldn't have those. So we were trying to find, you know, an alternative way of raising money. We, we've all done the traditional fundraising things, which are incredible and there's still a place for them. But for us at all true, we're trying to supplement that, bring a little bit more, maybe efficiency to raising money. Um, and basically what we do is, you know, we work with athletes, celebrities, entertainers, uh, to support a cause that's near and dear to their heart, whether it be a personal foundation or, you know, just another organization that they want to support, creating a unique fan experience, and then, you know, allowing all of their fans to rally behind them through small increment donations 
And then one lucky winner gets the opportunity to live out that once in a lifetime experience. So it's been a ton of fun for us uh, over the course of the last now two years since we kind of came up with this idea and put it into motion. Uh, In the last 12 months, we've raised $1.8 million for charity, which has been extremely exciting. Uh, Certainly, if you would have told me after our first three-day rally with the PGA Tour and the 3M Open when we raised $3,000 that we would eventually raise just under $2 million in a calendar year. I might have said you're crazy, but, uh, you know, that's just kind of the nature of, of doing things the right way, always putting the charities first. You know, there's so many incredible organizations across the country that, you know, are just dying for funds and, and looking for a little bit of help. So when you're able to, to, to partner with these incredible athletes, celebrities, entertainers that are like-minded in the fact that all they care about is the charity is themselves, it, it makes it really, really easy and it makes it something special uh, that we can create. Yeah, and you know, this past year or two, you guys managed to have that partnership with all of the Walter Payton Men of the Year nominees around the NFL, merging your worlds yet again as you balance all these hats you're wearing. So it's been awesome to watch, man. I know we got some exciting stuff uh, we're working on on that front that we can't wait to get to tell everybody about here. But it's uh, it's been incredible, and I know that part of your life and your life in football has meant a lot to you. So it's really cool getting to see that grow into something that's, like you said, going to outlive your days and pads, going to affect people long after that and going to be really really awesome um Rudy before I get you out of here I we're having Bo Allen on the show tomorrow (laughs) former NFL defensive tackle and I saw him pop up in an Instagram story at a workout place with your wife Jordan who I obviously know super well and so I saw the connection there and so I gotta ask you you told me off air you got a great Bo Allen story so I need this so I can walk in with ammo tomorrow with him absolutely so so Bo's incredible uh (laughs) it's been a ton of fun getting to know him down here in Tampa and uh, so, you know, my kids go to school, uh, Academy of the Holy Names. It's uh, If you're familiar with Tampa, it's on Bayshore Boulevard. So Bayshore Boulevard kind of runs right along the bay, and there's a huge – call it sidewalk, I guess. Um, people run, walk, rollerblade. Um, it's a very active – there's, like, random pull-up bars and, like, different things throughout the course of the, you know, almost four miles of this street – uh, so it's you know, every morning at 7.30 when I'm driving the girls to school, you, you see everybody out rollerblading, running, walking, doing their pull-ups, push-ups, sit-ups, so the whole deal. So everybody's out. You know, the sun's coming up. It's gorgeous in Florida. They're getting their workout on. So I dropped the girls off at school one morning, and then, you know, I'd make the loop, and now I'm coming back north towards downtown Tampa. And, like, in the distance, I see this guy, and I'm like, respect like that guy's in pretty good shape like you know you could tell he had his shirt off like he was pretty jacked up big dude um so of course I'm driving and now like we're 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 crossing and as he gets closer it's like American flag shorts uh the old school (laughs) 90s Oakley sunglasses a bandana and obviously no shirt and I'm like oh this dude is this dude's he's something man like how about that he's living and of course, like now we're like right here and I can see him like, it's Bo. Like that is the most Bo thing ever. So Bo oh. was just out cruising for, you know, a morning blade sesh, you know, getting a little workout in, some light cardio, but got to give it to him. The dude looks great. 
It's it's incredible. When I first the first time I met Bo, I went up. It was after you had already uh, you had already left and gone to the NFL. It was like my last spring game, and me and Trevor Robinson, one of our other former offensive line teammates, who is now jacked, is the theme of the story. <laughs> and we went up to Mifflin uh, in Wisconsin at Madison with Bo and a bunch of those guys to go and check out that party weekend there. And I remember seeing Bo and I was like, that's the biggest set of thighs on a dude I have ever seen. He was as big a plugger at D tackle as anybody here. And now you're right. He's jacked up. He's got a borderline six pack. Like Rudy, are, have you ever worried about life post football? Cause you've seen all the fat guys that you hung around with go the opposite direction and get jacked now here. Are you at all worried that you might get done and get tired of having him be in shape all the time and just be fat for a little bit uh well we know what happens to my weight when <laughs> i take some time off uh we know things i crave and meals that i eat so uh yes I, i'm definitely worried uh thankfully you know being north of 66 i've got plenty of frame to hold 300 pounds uh or just there under but uh you know We'll see. I'm certainly going to be fighting that battle hard when football is over. Because uh, like you said, all the, the big guys get skinny, and usually the guys that are in shape for their whole career, they come back 10, 15 years later, and we all look like we played tackle. So uh, it, it's going to be a battle, but, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I guess it's a shame that you've got such bad influences in your life like me who are always going to be knocking on the door to go to Taco Bell at any hour of the day. So I'll try and pump the brakes on that a little bit whenever you decide to hang it up out of respect, but just know that's going to be the hardest habit for us to kick. Well, I'm saying you can vouch that in the almost 18 years that we've known each other, I've never said no to an invite. So, um, you know, whether that's Taco Bell or Burger King or any of the other places in South Bend when we were in college – or runs uh, afterwards, I'm always in. So uh, that will definitely be – we'll have to just pick and choose. It won't be able to be an every time we're together thing. Yeah, I was going to say, Kyle, you have my undying respect for a lot of reasons, but just painting a picture of this man's – Real desire to never say no to Taco Bell. It was the Super Bowl in Miami. <laughs> I was down there. It was me, you, Jordan, um, our buddy Dane. We talked about it. We played with it at Notre Dame. We're all down there. And I met you guys over at the NFLPA party. And everyone, anyone who's never been to Super Bowl week, it's all just parties, big sponsored events. Everyone's going out and getting dressed up. And all of us are sitting there. And at one point, I think it was Jordan that looked at us and was like, are you guys hungry? And the next thing I know, we're leaving this nice party. I forget where it even was. And went for a nice sit-down dinner at Taco Bell in Miami at Super Bowl week. So if anyone wondered what kind of roll dog Kyle Rudolph is, that should tell you everything you need to know right there. <laughs> I'm always for Taco Bell. Uh, it's inc- it's incredible, man. It's uh, It's been fun. Well, Rudy, I hope the trip back to South Bend this weekend is fun. I hope that you don't have to be a human seatbelt for anybody the way you were when I was over-served a little bit our freshman year spring game. So hopefully it'll be eventful enough to give you guys plenty to talk about in the booth, but not quite as eventful as a 19-year-old's post-spring game party. I'll try not to touch onto that as we're bringing storylines to the second <laughs> half of the game. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, exactly. No one, no one needs to talk about my uh, my wild ride pro spring game in two thousand eight. We'll uh, we'll save that for another day. Rudy, you're the best man. Have fun this weekend. Have a great call. We're all looking forward to watching. Thanks for having me.
Sound the trumpets, it's horse racing time. Saddle up for the action with DK Horse, an official DraftKings affiliate. Right now, new customers who download the DK Horse app can get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250. Just deposit $25 or more and complete the playthrough requirement. Wager on your favorite horses, then watch the races live right in the app. Download the DK Horse app now. New customers get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250 when they opt in with code GOLIC, only on the DK Horse app. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER, 18+, plus, 21+, plus in certain states, to open or access an account and a resident of a state where DK Horse is available. Eligibility restrictions apply, void where prohibited, one per new customer, match calculated on first deposit up to a maximum of $250. Deposit requires two-time playthrough of settled wagers within 168 hours. Bonus released in $25 increments. Deposit and eligibility restrictions apply. See terms at dkhorse.com. Big thanks to our guy, Rudy. Uh, glad he got stopped by. Make sure you watch him. Check him out. The Notre Dame Spring Game this weekend and all the USFL coverage. He is going to do great there because he's done great at pretty much everything he's done, Brandon. We've gotten pretty used to that over the years. The first time we were all in the setting where we realized it, I think you remember they did something when we were coming in as freshmen called the functional movement screening where you go through and you take this test to basically see, oh, do you got like tightness in a certain area? Are your shoulders a little bit worse on one side or the other? Kyle went first and went through it and breezed it. He aced the test if you can do such a thing. And we all thought, all right, this is going to be great. It's going to be easy. We're all falling down all over ourselves. And after that day, he very quickly earned the nickname Captain America around the locker room because he just looked like a super soldier. Yeah, it was one of those times where we recognized if if the coach is asking one particular person to do something, it's because they do it better than everyone else. Yeah, some people's better is just better than your better, and that's okay to admit. Uh, Brandon, it's okay to admit the show's coming to an end right now, so we got to send people out with this, that, and the third, three quick stories to get them going on the rest of their day. And why don't we start with this? The Deion Sanders effect continues to run rampant out there in Colorado. The Buffs have already sold out of their season ticket allotment going into the 2023 season. It's the first time they've sold out of season tickets since 1996, which at that point was the last of their streak of seven straight seasons of sold out tickets. This comes after they sold out their spring game. I think they were expecting like 45,000 people. The previous record had been like 1780. And so, Brandon, this is a reminder that if it goes good at all on the field for Dion in Colorado this fall he ain't going to be there very long because the rest of this from a college football standpoint is everything a program could want. All of the buzz that comes with this particular person and the attention he brings the program are second to none right now. Yeah. I mean, you really can't compare it to anything else. Back in 1996, Ryan Leaf was the quarterback. I was thinking maybe it was like Joe Klatt, uh, Cordell Stewart uh, territory, but that big name uh, quarterback, but when you have it as a coach, I mean, you can ask Matt Rule, who's been asked about Deion Sanders and, and other things, like, and is just getting a, a new start in college football. It's rare to have this amount of buzz surrounding a coach, and it actually equates to winning on the field. 
Yeah, it's uh, it, it's pretty incredible. Like I said, we'll we'll wait and see if it equates to winning on the field because we know where Colorado's roster was and we know what it's going to take to get them back in contention. I get the Pac-12 might not look like a murderer's row right now, but the way Oregon looked last year, USC, Washington coming up under Kalen DeBoer, it's not going to be the easiest test in the world for a team that struggled to do anything and won one game over the course of last season. So if he can flip that around, then we're really going to be seeing something special. So, Brandon, let's get to that. That is uh, the unfortunate reminder that we might have to stop expecting things from Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods underwent an Mm. ankle surgery on Wednesday to address post-traumatic arthritis in his right ankle caused by the injuries that he suffered in that car rack back in 2021. The last we saw him at the Masters, Tiger was limping around uncomfortably on the course. He withdrew from the tournament, citing plantar fascia issues as the reason, but now we see something deeper there. His agent came out and said that he is resting and will start the recovery process and said, that there is no timetable on this for Tiger said his first goal is recover and to lead a much more enjoyable day-to-day life and man after what we saw at the Masters that's probably where we need to set our expectations I know we've had this conversation over and over I know the minute we see Tiger out on a course swinging a club somewhere that's probably going to go out the window for some people but Brandon I think at this point Physically, this is just no longer in the cards for him. The Masters, albeit with terrible weather, is basically like a home course for Tiger Woods. His comfort level's at an all-time high there. And to see his body respond that way at that tournament was, I think, what we all need as a public to kind of give him the space to just go and recover and hopefully be a person that can enjoy the day-to-day now. Well, Mike, remember the last time we gave him space to recover – he ended up winning the Masters again. And I think this, and that's why I guess I'm, I'm still holding out hope. I hope that we can all realize the uh, amount of trouble that his body has been through. Obviously, we had a car accident. We almost lost Tiger Woods. That's why I, I feel like there is a unicorn level of athleticism that he brings to the table. And obviously, him being around Charlie, his son, who is golfing exactly like him every chance we get to see him on camera. I still have hope, and what we saw from Phil Mickelson in the Masters, uh, this last Masters, I'm still holding out hope that Tiger Woods, with some real rest and relaxation, could make a resurgence in about four years or so. Man, just... And I understand he's a victim. You're right. You're absolutely right to bring up he's a victim of his own success in this very nature. He has gone and done the impossible. He's done the thing that we love sports for. And so some people are never going to lose that in golf, quite honestly. I'm sure the powers that be in the PGA are secretly hoping that he decides to make another comeback because he's ratings gold. Everything he touches turns to eyeballs. But it just seems like we may be finding the limits as we're getting ready to say goodbye to a number of different athletes. Tom Brady finally retired. LeBron James is in year 20, and we know staring down what could be the end of his career. Tiger Woods has always been in that vein of guys, and we'll wait and see if he's got any left in the tank, but uh, best of luck with the rest of recovery to LT Gray. Let's finish up with the third, Brandon. We talked about the Cavender twins here on the podcast a while back, the two basketball stars that transferred to Miami and were a part of their run this year in the tournament. They both announced that they were not going to come back with their added year of eligibility. They came in together. They were going to go out together. And as we looked at their future, we've already seen that includes a WWE contract, two of the biggest TikTok stars in all college sports, but definitely in college basketball, going to take their talents to an even bigger screen. 
And now that apparently includes Jake Paul. It appears the Cavender twins also revealed they're joining Jake Paul's content network better. It's a gambling and media company that announced an exclusive partner with the Cavender twins who are going to be equity partners, content creators, and creative directors. And so, Brandon, this is kind of what we talked about in the NIL space with a lot of athletes is it has a chance to set you up for the next thing. And for them, the next thing is going pro in something other than sports, but also going pro in something that they were already doing, which which was creating content and reaching a lot of eyeballs in these various social media platforms. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. And I kind of like that they're teaming up with another sibling group with uh, Jake Paul and obviously Logan Paul and them being famous on YouTube versus TikTok. The Cavender twins are terrible on TikTok, I have to say that. But I, I realized that eventually... Haley might have to break off. I know they both retired because one of their basketball careers could have ended and the other one could have continued. I feel like the separation is is inevitable, so I'm looking forward to that as well. Well, we're a podcast that enjoys and appreciates family. Lord knows that. So best of luck to them. If you enjoyed a little bit of family in the podcast, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, and review. Leave us a five-star rating. And check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel under the Gojo with Mike Golden Jr. tab. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Boom. Money in the bank. Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf, Gojo and Golik, Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving in the 2024 NBA postseason. You get it. But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York.